Previously on Sinners Anonymous. Shedding our addictions. What are addictions? Are they what we think they are? Are addictions just simply addictions to substances? Or is it more than that? I'm not going to go back to doing this thing. I'm not going to go back to that relationship. I'm not going to go back to watching that thing or hanging out with those people. And you still do it time and time again. How many people make it, quote unquote, make it in life, but they're not happy and they feel that emptiness? It's not just power, it's identity. That work is my identity. This is where I find myself. I feel successful at work. I don't feel successful at home. And you bury yourself in your work. They had to lose something so, so important to them to make them to like, something had to click and they had to realize like, oh my gosh, like, this is absolutely ruining my life. All of a sudden you get stuck in this routine. That's when, that's when the addiction starts forming, right? Because it's a repetitive behavior that's actually detrimental. How do you break it? How do you get past it? How do you find your way out? Because yes, in some cases you have to hit rock bottom, but that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. I think also besides hitting rock bottom, you have to realize that switching over or getting rid of your addiction is not going to be an instant reward. You know, like if I if I give up coffee right now, I know I'm going to wake up the next morning with a big headache and it will most likely be like that for a while until I'm, you know, I'm not used to coffee in my system anymore. And I think that transition is where a lot of people are like, like one leg in, one leg out. Like, do I want to go through this or do I want to continue to be comfortable and just, you know, let it That's be. a big thing, comfortable. Yeah. That's huge. You hit it, Karen. Because I think the reason why people don't like to change is because they don't want to feel uncomfortable. And they want to satisfy themselves in the way that they are now. And any change is going to be uncomfortable because there's an unknown. I don't know, you know, if I, oops, if I do this every single day, I know what the result or the outcome is going to be. But if I change it up and I do something that's not normal, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. It might cause damage. It might not, which will yield an uncomfortable, maybe an uncomfortable result. And the issue then is no longer in your hands. So you feel like everything's in your hands and you're in control. And then when you start to give that thing up, you're relinquishing control. Mm -hmm. And that's where it becomes very difficult. Mm -hmm. He's got the whole mm -hmm. world. And that's, that's, that's jumped yeah. into my head. <laughs> so he's, but but, but there's, there's the answer. He has the whole world in his hands. I, before you were born, I, I've known you. I've engraved your name in the palm of my hand. All right? Like, the answer is staring us in the face. The answer is right there. The answer is, Habibi, you want to be addicted to something? Be addicted to me and the love that I have for you because you are the center of my world. You're the apple of his eye. You're the apple of my eye. And if you make me the center of your world, you're not going to need any addiction. You're not going to need any person, any substance. You're not going to do, you're not going to need anything. I will set everything for you. I will take care of everything for you. You can't just sit there and be lazy, right? You can't be, you can't be that one servant that buries his talents. You have talents, use them, but I will show you how to use them, right? But you know what? What do we do when God is not enough? That's the thing. I think a lot of people, when they first have an addiction, they s decide they want to change. I'm pretty sure the real, real world doesn't turn to God and say, God, help me. You know, they're not praying isn't going to be the first thing that most people are going to do. Um, it's going to be a lot of anger involved. It's going to be a lot of, you know, other byproducts involved with withdrawals from the from whatever addiction that they had. Um, 
And, you know, I think understanding that you were, your life was taken control of by this addiction. And like Michael said, you have to have the humility of letting go of that control or, you know, making sure that it's no longer in control so then you can move forward with it. And, um, you know, Irene, you were mentioning about previously when we were talking off air about the mission trip that Mm -hmm. you went on and how like a lot of people like it kind of became a more religious topic. Yeah, like a lot of people. So it was through a medical association like this trip wasn't meant to be like religious, like in any way. And because Costa Rica is a primarily Catholic country, the topic of Christ is talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, like in everyday language. Like it's not like something that people shy away from. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's just known to be Catholic. Like they'll say, God bless you. And thank God I'm doing That's the regular conversation. Yeah. So a lot of them found, um, first they found each other. Like they found like a, a support group and all of them were like Christian. So they all focused on Christ and made that the primary focus, like serving each other, um, volunteering and praying together before they eat, like little things like that, like making Christ the primary focus and just going out of themselves a little bit mm-hmm. to realize like what the, the problem was. Right. Um, There's one thing that I heard in that they had a community. Mm-hmm. It was a community of them together, working together trying to find the path towards God together, trying to find the path away from their addictions together. And we can't do it on our own. And it was really interesting because we had, there were, I remember one of them, uh, he was a millionaire. He was like one of the richest people of Costa Rica living like on a mountain, like on a, in a mansion. And the person right next to him was, he, he told us he like grew up dirt poor, like working since he was like 12. And they ended up in the same exact place which i thought was wow crazy because they were in completely different points in their life and addiction brought them back in the same place and then christ was also the meeting point so it was insane like seeing that in person the objective of the enemy is to slow one's progress towards accepting god in their life That has always been Satan's primary focus since the fall of Lucifer. That is all that he's cared about, to slow one's progress, or in some cases to make it so that there is no progress, of getting, allowing someone to realize the manifestation of Christ in their personal life. Not Christ as a concept, as a church, as communion, or as an idea, or a gospel, but Christ as the living word in my life and its direct impact on my actions, on my thoughts, and on my behaviors. If he can succeed, he's done his job. He's lost a soul, uh, or that soul has been lost to him, right? Uh, and and, and they they sadly, will not make it to to heaven. How does he do that? For some people, it's money, addiction to money. For others, it's an addiction to a substance. For others, it's a an addiction to a relationship. I mean, it, it's crazy the amount of um, premarital relationships that are very, very serious, you know, and we're talking like way past physical, uh, you know, intercourse or whatnot. We're talking about like emotionally embedded, like I cannot move on in my life without talking to you once or twice a day when the relationship is toxic. And and by toxic, it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't have to be abusive. It could be like where your maturity, where your spirituality, when something's broken, 
you don't run to Christ, you run to this person. That's a problem. Whether you're married or not, that's a problem, right? Because you are using that person as a drug. You are using their relationship as a drug. When, when the devil has found your weakness and exploited it, right? Because remember, we all agreed the addiction is the reaction to the problem, right? This inadequacy or feeling of, you know, loss or pain, whatever, or loneliness, right? When he's found your weakness, he feeds you the addiction. And when the addiction, when you allow it to your point, when you choose to allow it to sprout into your life, right? It will consume you and it will take you away from your goal. And you will get to a point where you have a new God and it's not Jesus Christ. It's the addiction. I cannot spend a day without this addiction. And every single person listening to this podcast, every single person that is alive has either faced an addiction or they're facing an addiction or they have overcome an addiction. So this is something that touches every single one of us. And one of the most impressive techniques that Satan uses with these addictions is he makes us blind to our own addictions. And the second thing that we've discussed that the Satan uses is once you've realized you have a problem, he makes you feel as if you cannot overcome. It is impossible. And you know what? In every deception of the devil, there's a bit of truth and then the lie. The truth is you, he's right. You cannot overcome alone, alone. You cannot overcome your addiction alone, but with Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is a story of a young man who had a very serious addiction to pornography. And I was watching the YouTube story and it was incredible. Um, he was, he's, he's a Christian, he's not Orthodox, but he's a Christian. And he was telling the story of how uh, pornography and these fake relationships with these actresses, uh, he started off very innocent. You know, he was at a sleepover and someone showed him some pornography. He, was, he wasn't even eight years old. He didn't understand what was going. He was traumatized. He wanted to continue to replicate, you know, that behavior. He started masturbating. It started becoming a whole part of his life, right? To the point that he had to masturbate multiple times to pornography throughout, throughout the day in the most inexcusable places. I mean, this, this, he became a grown man with a job and whatnot. He could not separate to the point that he starts paying for these fake relationships online with these, with these actresses, right? And he, can't, he couldn't hold a job. He couldn't hold a relationship. He felt horrible about himself. Because that's the flip side of the addiction. When the high is out over, you feel miserable about who you are. It's a prison. It's a prison. And he couldn't let go. And he got to the point where he had no job, no significant other, no prospects, addicted to this. He started having medical issues, right? Where like he was depressed until he, did, he was watching pornography. He started considering suicide. Because that was, that was the only way out. To him, in his mind, that was the only way out. Until one day... He was walking in the street and there was uh, these old folks that hand out, you know, Jesus loves you papers or whatnot. And like, it, it wasn't even his religion. And uh, I mean, it wasn't his denomination of Christianity. It was just Jesus loves you. Jesus is there. And it was a picture of Jesus hugging the sinner, you know, the sinner that's limp. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is rising up and hugging him from behind. So he goes home and he sees that, you know, he's, he go, takes it out of his pocket. He sees it. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to talk to him. I'm just going to tell him. So he gets on his knees and he prays and he says, for over 20 years, I've been addicted to this. 
I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. Uh, my body desires it. My mind desires it. But I, who I am, the, the being that you created, the soul that you created, I do not want it. I choose you. I want you. I want you to replace this addiction. Take it from me. And in his tears and in his, his genuine desire to be absolved of this addiction, he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he said, I felt a peace that I've never felt before. And he never, till that point, felt the same pain, the same desire, the same pull to watch pornography. Yes, it's always there. It's always there in the back of his mind, he says. But he has managed to overcome it literally overnight. Literally overnight. Because he made a commitment to Christ in his tears. He made a sacrifice through his tears. He made a promise to God through his tears that if you can enable me to resist, I will resist, and I will replace you with any of that addiction. Not all addictions are that easy to break, but every addiction can be overcome. How do we say then, so in this circumstance, this person turned to God. Okay, what if somebody doesn't know God? Or what if somebody doesn't have God in their life or like an, a bigger greater God, you know, what, what do they do in that case? So St. Moses was a, um, well, was, was a well-known, like infamous um, Ethiopian criminal. He killed, he stole, he was like basically a gang leader. And now, was, now frame, frame it right. I mean, this guy was an, like MMA fighter. He was huge in stature. He was very muscular, very dominant, very uh, e e egregious in his behavior. He did everything over the top. He drank, he smoked. You know, if he wanted a woman, he took a woman. If he wanted a sheep, he killed a sheep and ate the whole sheep. Like, this man was a beast in the actual definition of the word. Yeah, so, and then one day, it just all of this stuff just wasn't, like, wasn't enough for him. And then all of a sudden, he looks up at the sun, and he goes, God, if you're there, just lead me to you. And he leads him into the desert, into the monastery. And he knocks on the door of the monastery, and they see him, and they think he's going to go rob them and kill them. Like, they think it's a barbarian attack. And he winds up going to them and, like, explaining. Well, remember, happened. they wouldn't open the door. Yeah. Go he's, ahead. They wouldn't open the door for him. I mean, they opened the door. At the time, the, the monks, monastery is in the middle of nowhere. It's in the desert. And they did have attacks all the all time. All the time. Yeah, people that just were like, hey, these monks, they must be protecting something. Let's go, let's go kill them and take their gold or whatever, right? And they refused to open the door. And he sat at the door for, for, I don't know how many days, but days until the abbot of the monastery, Abba Isidore, realizes there's something going on here. And so he takes them. And uh, he says, what do you want? And he goes, I want to find out who this God is. I have no idea who God is. I want to find out who, who this God is. And uh, the, everyone is still questioning whether or not he's legitimate. And so they're like, all right, well, they start teaching him about Christ. They start teaching him about resistance, about, you know, fighting the good fight. And he realizes, you know, he's the worst of the worst. And he admits that. And it doesn't, it's not an easy fight for him. I mean, the story of St. Moses, you think even after he became a monk, you would think that he's done, he's, he's okay. But there are, in a story, there's actually documents of him trying to, to pray, trying to focus and Satan brings back all of the addictions, the women and the food and the money and all the things he did that were horrible, the killing and all these horrible things that he, because he was a criminal. And makes him feel bad about it and makes him forget that God forgave him for it. Yeah.
to the point that he runs to Abba Isidore and he says, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he tells him, no, you have to fight. And he goes and he fights and he comes back and he says, I can't do it anymore. And it gets to a point that Abba Isidore has compassion upon him. So he takes him to the top of the tower, right as the sun is rising. And he says, look to your left. And he sees these horrible demons that are all fighting and focused on one thing and one thing only, which is to steal his soul. And he says, look to your right. And he looks to his right and he sees all the angels of God in their heavenly glory and their hosts trying to fight for him. And he goes, all of these on the right, they're ready to fight for you. All of these on the left, they're ready to take, your, take you away. You are in power. You are in control. You decide who you will give your soul to. Call upon Christ, call upon the heavenly angels, call upon his love and his and compassion, and you will overcome. And they say from that point on, the devil didn't leave him alone, but it was much easier for him to resist. Think about that for a second. This was a monk who would eventually become a priest and eventually a saint. And even after he gave his life to God, he fell prey to his temptations, to his vexations, as the story of Isidore. Like, he wasn't perfect. He messed up many times. He broke his fast. He, he did horrible things. And he still tried to resist. And he never gave up. So when you ask what happens when you don't know God, I mean, he used to worship the sun. But he felt we're all called to Christ. We're all called to God. I mean, Renz, I don't want to put you on the spot. But you have your own story of being called to God, don't you? Plenty of times in my life, to be honest. Are we talking just getting into the Coptic church. Sure, whatever you feel is appropriate. Um, just <laughs> being mistreated sorely. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Just sorely being mistreated in the beginning, but then just doing my own independent research, uh, then actually reading about St. Moses in the beginning, just by myself, I stayed away from any church, honestly, at the time, too. I didn't go anywhere near any Coptic church, Catholic, you name it. I was like, nope, no, not going anywhere. And then eventually just having friends plead with me it's like come back i'm like nope come back no come back if i say yes will you leave me alone <laughs> maybe okay okay i'll come back so eventually started going back and got involved in the church started uh just looking into the other eastern orthodox church as well too just to be fair and balanced and decided okay which one am i going to choose oriental or Eastern. I mean, that is just a little denominational differences. That's petty, honestly, especially these days. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of looking at the looking at the saints as well too, and looking at Pope Carlos, uh, Pope Shenouda, Saint Moses. Just looking at some of the saints, and even though, yeah, they were, uh, we pray and ask them for intercession. Just also just having them. Just taking their life as an example, because a lot not every single person that we ask for intercession were believed in God in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Saint Luke was uh, from a family of pagans. Uh, Saint Jonah, he wanted Nineveh to be basically <laughs> first century version of a nuclear missile, just like destroyed, like wiped off the face of the earth. But God was like saying, "Nope, I'm gonna keep forgiving them because they don't even have a decent sense of morality." I'm going to use this St. Moses because he's the worst of the worst. And I'm going to basically say that this person who was once, I guess, an African version of uh, Genghis Khan, <laughs> essentially, that's what he is. And I'm going to use him to basically 
show later on future generations after he's long gone on this earth at least that anybody can be redeemed and his story actually kind of compelled me to come back and give uh give the church a chance hey! <laughs> oh now you hit the button <laughs> The beautiful thing about your story where it aligns perfectly with the saint, uh, this beloved saint of ours, is the community. You had those friends that said, listen, we love you. Like, we know you're not part of us. It doesn't matter. We love you. We want you to be part of us. Come back. The same thing with the, same thing with the community of monks that St. Moses ended up joining. He learned compassion from one. He learned love from one. He learned the theology from one. That community is so important, a non-judgmental, loving community. The correct community. The correct community, the, correct. the church, the correct church community, right? Uh, let's not rehash all the episodes. But, um, but that's the type of community that we need. And that is one that says, hey, you're broken, I'm broken. We're all broken. We need him. Mm -hmm. He's the only thing that fixes it. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of it. And I think with, with um, the, the stories of, of the saints, you, you see that there's a common ground in which they find a different purpose for their life. Um, at first, their purpose was more of a self-fulfilling purpose, you know, prior to knowing God. And then once they did get to know God, they started fulfilling an alternative purpose within their lives, which was serving others and helping others and putting themselves out there for others. And I think right now we live in a world where it's very much I need to help myself and I'm independent and everybody else is it's every man to themselves so to say and so you know for me to help somebody out why would I do that unless if it benefits me in any way um, and you see that a lot of addicts to various forms of things once they shift their perspective once they shift their thinking to something that's much more it's not self-gratifying in a sense where I'm pleasing myself, but I'm pleasing others. People will find self-pleasure in pleasing others, if that makes sense. You know, whether if it's like helping somebody out with, I don't know, an older person. I don't know, like going to a hospital, nursing home, whatever. Those are just taboo things to say. But like, you know, if, I've, if I'm talking about, you know, you putting yourself out there for other people, really helps in overcoming struggles that you have on your own when it's a self-satisfying struggle, when I'm trying to get a high off of a certain thing or when I'm trying to please myself in a certain way, you can change it into where you serve others and you're there to please others and that in return will also please you and make you feel full from it as well. <laughs> it, it is that desire to serve the living for God first and others second, right? Love one another as I have loved you. That is absolutely crucial. And it takes us out of our self-focus. Right. We, we're, we're so focused on ourselves that we can't see the good around us. We can't see, we can't even feel God's love because we're so inwardly focused. And once you start focusing on others and helping others, that's when you allow God to actually work in your life and you actually start to see God's work well you did something really small to help this person but it made such a big difference and you realize that that wasn't really you that was God. yeah it really is and, and and that perspective is everything and you're not the only thing in the world and don't buy those stupid leggings <laughs> guess what time it is guys it is 55 minutes and it is closing time closing we're gonna go around the room we're gonna talk about what you learned what you took away 
what you are going to do this Lent to overcome your addictions based on the conversation we had, Justine, go. I think my focus, rather than focusing, I know a lot of times we focus on the food and the dietary options that we have, but I think focusing rather on more of the habits that are self-gratifying or the habits that are for me, um, I'd like to change those to make it into something that's serving others in a way. You know, take that energy and put it towards someone else. Mike, Renza, go. I'm just at a point, and I kind of have my own little addictions as well, too. Um, just trying to silence it. I know it sounds cliche, especially with Lent right now, to actually reach out to God more. Um, I've learned over the years with my own personal addictions, just try to do something else that's similar, that's more Christ-like. Um, I know coffee's one of my big thing. Um, I used to look at it like in a good way, but I kind of taught myself, and this is something that helps me at least, it, and something that's been revealed to me, is just look at your bank account balance. Cause uh, yeah, especially <laughs> if you go to Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, whatever you do, even if you pick up whatever, like mom and pop shop, you see your bank account balance start to go down every time you spend $3, you do that seven times a week, that's $20, sorry, $21, you're pretty much giving that establishment a week. You times that times four, that's 48. Now you take 48 times 12. It's like you're, you're essentially giving like a sacrifice to that addiction. Like you're giving it to that altar. That's how I've taught myself over the years. And I can say that from collecting, being one of, one of them, collecting Pokemon cards, video games, anything. Eventually over time, you realize that your money, which is your, the fruit of your labor, you see where things go, uh, be it in church or be it hourly, because everything that you work hard for, be it the nine to five or whatever your schedule is, you see where your money goes and you see where you're putting yourself into, especially being in being American in the 21st century. Amen, Irene. Um, I think I definitely want to lean on God first. I tend to lean on other things first before I start reaching out to God. He always becomes like my last resort when things get really bad. Um, so I, I definitely learned that my first resort needs to be leaning on God. Mike? During this season, my focus is, has been just, where's my heart? My heart needs to be with God. And so often I realize that my heart is in something else and just trying to refocus that back in, trying to realize that all this, some of this stuff may seem like it's good and some of these relationships and some of these things that you pour yourself into may seem like they're good, but if they don't glorify God, then they're not doing you good and trying to focus on that more than anything. Uh, Karen? Yeah, everybody pretty much said, like hit it right on the nail, but um, I think my focus is just going to be to involve God more and ask more for his help. I think personally that's something that I struggle with and I always want to be in control and so my focus is just going to be to kind of push my comfort zone and lose some of that control and let God take control of my situation. 
Sharon. I'm just going to let God take the wheel from here and just leave it on him and not lean on my own understandings. Here's the thing. What are addictions? Our addictions are anything that you replace God with. Anything in your life that you cannot live without. Anything that you feel have become such an important part of your life that you can't spend a single day, a single week, a single month without doing. Using that definition of addiction, there are so many addictions in our lives. There are so many things that we now worship more than we worship God. Lent is not just about shedding meat or cheese or doing extra matanyas. Lent is about detox. Detoxing from your addictions, from the things that you worship, from the altars that you worship at, whether it's the altar of Starbucks, the altar of pornography, the altar of marijuana, TikTok, <laughs> whatever the altar is, it is retreating from that and coming to the altar of Christ and getting on your knees and saying, I am weak, I am broken. I need this more than I need you. I want this more than I want you. And I can't stop. And it's never too late. And I need you to come into my life. I need you to show me the way. I need you to help me. I need you to fix me because I am broken. I have a desire to stop, but I cannot stop. I have the, I have the, the purpose and the, the dedication that I want to give to you, but I do not have the will. Help me. Help me. This is the time where he's listening. I mean, he's always listening. But during this time especially is when we're called back to Christ and asked to recommit our lives to him. And if you don't keep the fast and you break it for meat, and if you don't have a prayerful life during this Lentil season, and you don't really go to church, and you don't pay attention to the sermons, but you can overcome your addiction by allowing God in your life. Congratulations. You've just succeeded and had a wonderful, blessed Lent. So maybe that's what we need to focus on. Identify our addictions, admit our weaknesses, and call Christ into our lives and support each other and love each other. Because again, if we don't build the community in our churches that can help everyone in a non-judgmental and loving way, we're all going to just be living with these addictions and dying with these addictions. And that, imagine what would happen if this generation doesn't do that. That's the question you got to ask yourself. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Like, we are so happy that you were here with us. If you're local, come on over, St. Mary's Del Rey, uh, this coming Friday. What day would that be? April 16th. April 16th. Yes. And uh, and we want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your ideas. We want to hear your comments. We're going to be discussing everything. Uh, and uh, if you're not local, hit us up on social media, right? You know, just don't do other things on social media. Remember, trying to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. But hit us up on social media. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know what you how you can help. Or, you know, or if you want to know where your nearest Orthodox church is, we're happy to help you. We're here for you. We love you. And remember, love each other fervently because love overcomes a multitude of sins. God loves you. We love you. Bye, everybody.